feel like the low-carb lifestyle just isn't practical? Oh, sure, it sounds good in theory, maybe even doable, but the minute you find yourself sitting in front of a bowl of pasta or trying to navigate your way through the grocery store, everything you've heard seems to go right out the window. You are definitely not alone in this struggle, which is why in this episode, I'm going to dive into the 10 basic rules of low-carb living with original founder of Ditch the Carbs, Libby Jenkinson, to share her practical tips on getting this lifestyle to stick. Welcome to the Ditch the Carbs podcast, brought to you by Thinlicious. I'm your host, Ruth Sukup, and here we'll talk about everything from the science of weight loss and metabolic flexibility to practical tips for making your health a priority in the midst of a very busy life. It's the perfect blend of insightful education, practical application, and good old-fashioned motivation. So buckle up, friend, because it's about to get real. Hey there, and welcome to the Ditch the Carbs podcast. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ruth Sukup, and I'm the founder of Thinlicious and the Thin Adapted System, as well as the New York Times bestselling author of seven books. I'm so excited to be launching this podcast today, and because I wanted to make sure there was plenty of meaty content for you to sink your teeth into on day one, I decided to add in a couple of fun bonus episodes like this one that would give you a taste of all the different types of content we'll be offering here on the podcast. And so in this episode, we're going to be diving into the nitty gritty of how to actually make adopting a low carb lifestyle feel doable and practical. Because the truth is that sometimes it can be hard to know just how to apply the theory of low carb living into your everyday life. And no one knows this better than the original founder of the Ditch the Carbs website, Libby Jenkinson. And so as we move Ditch the Carbs into a whole new era through this podcast, I thought there was no better person to have as my first expert guest than Libby. But let me back up just in case you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. You see, as I mentioned in my welcome episode last week, one of the most surprising things that's happened for Thinlicious this past year is that we actually acquired a whole other brand. In January, we hosted the Low Carb Living Summit, which introduced me to a number of awesome people in the low carb and health space. And one of those people was a wonderful woman named Libby Jenkinson, who had founded a very popular and very well-known website called Ditch the Carbs, which she started way back in 2014. But after almost 10 years, she was ready for a new adventure. And because our philosophies were so well aligned, she asked if I might be interested in buying her out. And obviously, as the name of this podcast would indicate, my answer was yes. So behind the scenes, my team and I are actually working on a pretty big plan to merge these two brands together, Thinlicious and Ditch the Carbs, into one super amazing, super robust, super just incredible resource website for anyone who's looking to get started with a healthy, low-carb lifestyle. But even though these websites are soon going to be combined into one under the Thinlicious umbrella... I still wanted a way for the Ditch the Carbs name to live on, and this podcast seemed like the perfect fit. So here we are. 
And that brings me back to today's episode where I thought it would be so fun to share the exact moment that Libby and I realized we were so aligned when I interviewed her as part of the Low Carb Living Summit. And so without further ado, here is my interview with Libby. Hello, hello, and welcome back. So if you are feeling like the low-carb living lifestyle is not practical for you, you're not alone. Because the truth is that sometimes it can be hard to know just how to apply everything to your day-to-day life and how to apply everything that you're learning in this summit to your everyday life. But if you are looking for down-to-earth tips and super practical advice that you can actually apply to your life right now, right away, then get ready because this is the session that is going to give you the top 10 low-carb commandments that you need to know. But first, just in case you don't know me, if this is your first session, my name is Ruth Sukup. I am the founder of Thinlicious. I am the creator of the Thin Adapted System. And I am so, so, so honored and excited to introduce you to our speaker today, Libby Jenkinson, who is the founder of Ditch the Carbs. She is a registered pharmacist and a busy mom, which puts her in a very unique position to both understand the science behind low-carb living and also understand the importance of making low-carb living easy, easy to implement, and also budget-friendly as well. She's very committed to that, which means we are like this when it comes to our philosophies. I love it. So Libby, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. It's lovely to be here, Ruth. It's absolutely wonderful to be here at the summit. And hopefully I can give you some top tips today for everyone who's watching today. Yes, I love it. Love it. So Before we do that, because one of the things I really love so much about your brand is just how well you combine this science piece, right? The science that's really important, the understanding the why and how it all works together with the actual practical side of it. And I know you and I have connected on that before where we've talked about that. Like that's so huge. It's so important to understand the science and to get kind of nerdy about the the real nitty gritty science parts. But if you can't actually apply it to your life, then what's the, what's the point of understanding all of that? And that's really where I feel like that's, you're so, so good at that. So can you just like give us a little bit of a big picture overview of how how you started down this road in the first place, what got you interested in low-carb living, and what is your general philosophy behind behind what you do and what you teach? Absolutely, absolutely. So as you said, I'm a registered pharmacist. So for years, I've been helping all of my patients with a variety of health conditions. So I can medicate people, I can help people, but it never really actually got to the root cause of what was causing a lot of their health issues. I went to a couple of seminars here from some amazing world experts, actually, in the low-carbon keto space. They've written a number of books. And I was sitting there, and all these light bulbs were going off, going, why was I never taught this in pharmacy school about insulin resistance, hyperinsulinemia, all of these things, which are the kind of root cause of so many different metabolic issues and health issues, and they all are also interlinked. So that's what got me onto this. And I have always struggled with my weight. And so when I discovered low carb, I suddenly lost, I don't know how many kilos, it was 10 or 20 kilos I lost with low carb living. I immediately knew that I wanted my family to live low carb as well because of the 
health improvements, the long, long-term improvements, the nutrition improvements, rather than living on sort of more ready food or instant food. So there's so many, so many things that got me interested in this. And then as the patients were coming in, I was kind of looking at through things through a different lens, going, well, actually, I wonder if they changed their diet, how their symptoms would improve. And so that then got me onto thinking. So I then started up Ditch the Carbs just as a pure hobby. And I was taking photos of my food more to keep myself accountable and to see if anyone else wanted, you know, my images. And slowly it became more and more people were interested. I did more into the science. I delved more into the science. And I was just blown away by it. And I think somebody once said at a conference, once you understand low carb or once you see low carb, there's no unseeing it. You can't get it out of you that actually this is the way we should all be living. Different ranges of low carb, ranges you want to live on, whether it's keto or moderate low carb, but being lower carb is better. And so then my philosophy is to make low carb living as easy as I can for you and your entire family. You don't want to be cooking two meals. You don't want to be cooking expensive meals all the time. That's not sustainable. So to make it delicious and sustainable for the entire family, that's really my overarching philosophy about low carb for everybody, I guess. Yeah. Yes. I love that. I love that because I, I mean, I experienced lots of different diets in the past and all trying all the different things. Right. And so often you'll get on some plan that's super restrictive and you have to eat all these special foods and then you're trying to cook two meals and ain't nobody got time for that. Right. Especially when you're a mom and you've got too much stuff going on getting one meal on the table is hard enough to try to do more than one. So I'm so with you on that. I think, and I loved what you said too, about once you see it, you can't unsee it. You just, once you know, you can't know. I feel like I've said things like that too, that like buckle up because coming to the summit, starting to understand more about low carb and how it works and what it's doing for your body and the changes that are happening, it will make you want to change because now you can't unknow that. And it really does make all the difference in the world. I, I love that so much. So I'm so excited to dig into your 10 commandments because I know that they're going to be super, super practical. And I just, I don't even want to wait an, a minute more. So do we start okay. with number 10 or do we start with number one? Let's start with number <laughs> no particular order. Oh, no particular order. Okay. <laughs> This kind of summarizes everything that I try and encourage through the site and try and teach. And it just is different, 10 different commandments or sort of not rules. I don't want rules, but just sort of things to think about. And if everyone watching can take away maybe one or two little golden nuggets and they go, ah, that, and if you just get something in your head that goes, that's what I need to remember, that will be fantastic. And there's some myth busting in here as well about facts. So I want to talk about that as well. So the first one we'll talk about is number one, which is the easiest one to remember, but it's sometimes the often the hardest for people is eat only when hungry, because so many of us can't actually recognize our hunger cues. And I also teach people about what's the difference between hunger and appetite. And hunger is your real true hunger where you're feeling a little bit, you need some food, your tummy's rumbling, you're absolutely starving. That's true hunger. Appetite is when you kind of open the pantry door or the fridge and you go, 
what is it that I fancy today? And that's appetite. And that's what people, a lot of people can't recognize. We've been for years of dieting through starvation and then overeating or, you know, it's trying to get those hunger cues. So that's the first one. Eat only when you're truly hungry and figuring out your hunger cues is a game changer. And a lot of people go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. And I go, no, no, do you really know what hunger feels like? And then they go, well, no, I, I never really actually get truly hungry. I'm always snacking. So that is my number one first tip. <laughs> oh, eat when you're hungry. And, I, you know, I've never put that connection together mm. before like, the difference between hunger and appetite, but you're yeah. right. Like I can think like, specifically it's when you open the fridge and you're like, yeah, I don't want that. I don't want yeah. that. I mean, my teenagers are notorious, right? I'm yeah. hungry. Well, what do you want? Like, I'll make you a sandwich. I don't want a sandwich and they don't no. want any, any things. Right. And that's when you're like, yeah, you're not really that hungry. You just no. want something. <laughs> and so you don't think about eat- that. No. And one, sometimes you eat something and go, that's what I want. You go, no, that wasn't what I want. You eat something else or you're trying to eat something so that you don't eat, say, the piece of cake that's in the fridge or whatever cookies you've got. And you eat so much so that you don't eat that. And you should have had, not I'm saying that you should have had that piece of cake in the first place, but that's appetite, not hunger. So that's that's the a real, I think it's a really basic rule, but a real game changer one. Yeah. So is there a specific cue that you would, that will tell you that it's actual hunger versus appetite or is it different for everyone? Yeah. I think everyone will have different cues, but for me, I feel it kind of almost in my tummy, that kind of little grumbling. I'm actually, my tummy's empty and I'm now ready for my next meal. And the other thing is I actually look at my watch and I think, well, actually if I'm, my tummy's grumbling and maybe it's only 10 o'clock, I also think about what I previously ate and think, well, did I have a good enough breakfast? Is that why I'm hungry now? Well, maybe tomorrow I have a better breakfast so I don't have to eat till lunch or so on. And so quite often also if you keep yourself busy, suddenly that hunger wave will pass or, you know, and then you can continue on with your day. And then an hour later you think, oh, actually I, I didn't eat anything. I didn't need to eat anything. And that I think is the difference between living on low carb suddenly you suddenly think, did I eat lunch today? Did I have a, did I eat, you know, and you forget that did you eat, whereas normally if you're on the carb roller coaster, you eat and eat and eat, your whole day is almost planned out by eating. So there's no way you would forget to eat lunch. Whereas when you're low carb, your hunger signals uh, almost suppressed slightly. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay. So that's number one, eat only when hungry. What's number two? Okay. Number two is eat only until 80% full. This is a lovely saying from the Okinawans, which is in the blue zone. And they have this little saying called Harry Hachibo, which is their little saying. And it's a fantastic way to think, don't eat until you're full, but eat until maybe you're 80% full or you're no longer hungry. And that just means, you know, it takes a wee while for the food to register in your brain that you've had that meal. And so if you've eaten, and sometimes you eat and you think, oh, I've eaten too much after your meal. But actually, if you stop just before you get to that point, that's sort of 20% less of your meal. You won't notice it because in half an hour, you will be full. It's just not eating until full, just eat until about 80% full. And that can also be a huge game changer that some people will automatically go back for that last piece of bread or that last piece of potato, whatever they're doing. So no matter what kind of regime you're following, eat until 80% full and that will help with your appetite control as well. 
Yeah, for sure. So is there, so that's an interesting one because I feel like there are some people who are more wired to eat until they're stuffed, right? My husband is that yeah. person. Like he will just eat and eat meat. If there's food there, he will just eat and eat yes. meat. Until, and then later he's like, oh my gosh, why did I, why did I eat that last thing? I'm so full. Whereas I'm more of a, like probably more of an 80 percenter. I get to the point where I'm, I'm like pleasantly full, but not overly stuffed. Yes. And so is there a way that you can train yourself to, if you are one of those people who's more of a, I'll eat everything on the plate. Is it portion control? And how do you do that? Absolutely. So what you can either start to serve yourself a little bit less, or the other trick that I teach is actually get out uh, an old dinner plate. If you look at our current dinner plates compared to a antique, say we've all got dinner plates from our parents and our grandparents. If you pull out one of those compared to your current one, the serving size is insanely small. The serving size will maybe be that big and a current dinner plate will be that big. And their dinner plate is almost the same size as our current side plates. And when you look at that, you think, oh my word. And they never thought they were deprived eating that amount of dinner. And slowly dinner plates have grown. So go into your cupboard and get out your lovely mother's or grand, grandparents' dinner set and get out that beautiful plate or go to a, a store and buy a thrift store, a beautiful plate, and use that. And you will notice how much smaller that serving size is. You won't feel deprived. You'll serve up everyone else's meals and boom, you've suddenly got a meal that's naturally 20% smaller than the rest of your families. And so then you're still sitting there enjoying it on this beautiful plate, but you don't feel <laughs> deprived at all. <laughs> And, you know, it's so funny that you would mention that because we just did that not very long ago. We brought out this china that we inherited from my from my in-laws and we had it in storage for the last 12 years since my mother-in-law died. And we finally took it out for Thanksgiving dinner. And I was like, yeah, why are these plates so small? I actually did notice that. It's very true because there's, you know, these are plates from like the fifties and uh, they were much smaller than our regular plates, but that's what we used. And nobody complained. And everybody only had one plate full because everybody was so full. And it's it's simple. These are all really simple tricks that you go, oh my goodness, that just is common sense. It makes such a difference but it's really easy to go into your cupboard get that beautiful plate out everyone will know that's your plate at dinner time so yeah if everyone's teenage boys can have whatever they need because teenage boys I'm sure a bottomless pit in their stomach but for us we would like a smaller plate (laughs) we'll take it I love it that's great advice okay so number three Number three, okay, eat real food with as little processing as possible. And when you eat real food, you almost become low carb by default. So when you stop eating the bread and the pasta and the crisps and the French fries and the sundaes and the ice creams, you can make those things yourself, but there is something in processed food as well that makes it hyper palatable. There are scientists that all they do is make sure that ice cream is as addictive as it possibly can be. They will make sure that those particular cookies, you can't stop it too. You have to have three, four, oh, the packet's gone. So by first of all, ditching all of the processed food and only eating real food, you almost become low carb by default because you're not eating the junk food. And all of a sudden your nutrition goes through the roof your satiety is there and you will just feel incredible and not having those preservatives 
also affects all of your brain health and your happiness and your serotonin and your gut. I mean, that's an entire discussion just in itself, but that's the little nugget. So much to unpack, but I love this because so many people think, oh, keto is unhealthy, low carb diet, those that that's not healthy and that it's not good for you. And that's where I say this, how is eating real food worse for you than eating packages full of stuff, right? All the bread, all the pasta, all the carbs. I promise you, your body does not need those refined carbohydrates, but your body does need nutrients that come from vegetables and meat and real things. And it's so funny when you really do start to think about it and write that down, but just eat real foods, just eat it as close to the way God and nature intended it to be as possible. And that's pretty much like good advice for all things, right? It just will keep you in a much better place. Absolutely. And all the preserve, you know, when we see there's a package and it's on the grocery shelf and it's got an expiry date of say five years, the preservatives that are all going in there, no food should last five years. And when you know that it's going into your stomach and I think it's either 70 or 80% of your serotonin is made in your stomach that can affect all your happiness hormones in your brain. When people just even, no matter what diet they follow, but if they come off that processed food, they say the difference in their mental health is phenomenal. And I cannot emphasize that enough. So, so yeah, that's so incredible. I know it's so incredible. It, like, and every time I hear about this stuff, I mean, it goes back to that. You can't unsee it and you can't unhear it. But every time I have these conversations, which is a lot, right? Because I do this now for a living. I'm so reconvicted every time I hear this, like, why would you eat any other way? Why would you do this to your body when you have a choice to nourish your body with the things that you eat? And at the same time, lose weight and feel satiated and improve your health and combat insulin resistance, all the things, right? And it's it's like the snowball effect of wellness that you have no idea. I always say this, you start because you want to fit into your skinny jeans and then you stay because of all the other benefits for sure. Okay. We're going so slow. We got to move on to number four. Number four, losing weight is deliberate. So plan for it. So I know a lot of people say, oh, I don't have time to do this and I don't have time to do that. But how many times have we sat down for another Netflix show, another movie, or we've suddenly spent two hours and we've been scrolling on Facebook, just spend 10 minutes, maybe writing down, say, the next three-day meal plan, getting your diary and you diarize whatever fitness you want to do, whether that's literally walking around the block or whether it's doing an exercise class. And I always say exercise, kind of treat it like a part-time job. If you only turned up when you wanted to, you'd be fired. So treat exercise and your weight loss and your meal planning, whatever it is that gets you across the finish line, plan it into your diary that it has to happen because it is a deliberate process. It will be the toughest thing you've ever done, but it'll be the one that you're most proud of. So plan for it in your diary. So get your pen out. And after people have watched this video, plan the next three meals, go online or do whatever you need to do to order the food. That's it. You're sort of the next three days at least. That's it. I love it. I mean, what's the saying? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I mean, and we do, you're exactly right. We make all this time to binge watch an entire series of stranger things on Netflix. And yet 
We can't take five or 10 minutes to plan our meals. It's really, it comes down to a matter of priorities. And if three days feels too hard, then just plan one day. Just wake up in the morning, give yourself 10 minutes and go, here's what my plan is for the day. And then do that the next day. Big goals never happen all at once. They got to just happen one step at a time. But I love, love that advice. Exactly. Okay. Number five. Is number five. Number five is stop the carb creep. And what I mean by that is slowly, carbs can slowly creep back into your day or there are unknowingly carbs in your day that you don't know about. So I always say do tracking for a while. If suddenly weight loss has stopped or you actually don't know where your carbs are coming from, do some tracking. Now, tracking is the most dullest, boring thing on the planet, but it works. No one likes to track, but it really works. And again, if you can't track forever, don't. I don't. But at the beginning, it's really useful to see where your carbs are coming from. And if you've got into a weight loss stall, track again to go, oh, actually, my milky coffee has slipped back in. And the little sneaky cookie that they give me at the coffee shop has come in. Oh, and I'm starting to steal the corner of my muffin from my son at the cafe. That's crept back in. And write down everything. And it's like I say, it's boring and it's dull, but it really works. And what you track, you change. So that is the biggest, biggest tip about carbs that I can give you. That's very, very true. And it's so funny how sneaky it is. And, you know, we're just through the holiday season here. And that's a time too, where it's just easy to take a little nibble here and a little nibble there and to justify it because it's the holidays. And yet you can do that probably for a little while. And then you will know you'll start to backslide or you won't be seeing the results that you want to see and go back to that by tracking. I agree. Tracking is the dullest thing (laughs) there is. And yet we improve what we measure. It does. It works. And there's no other way to know what is going into your body. And are there any like other sneaky carbs that people have to look out for? Like things that you wouldn't even think about? I think the two biggest ones are coffee. When people order their coffee, they don't realize if they order, say, a cappuccino or a flat white or a, um, say, iced coffee, they don't realize how much milk goes into that because milk in itself is not a problem. It's the volume of milk that goes into that drink that's the problem. And then quite often they'll use a sugar, well, they say it's sugar-free, sometimes it's not because I've had people who test it and it's not sugar-free. And then they'll add, say, some cream, and it'll be sweetened whipped cream, and then something else. And that is more than in a meal in a day. So, But even just a plain flat white cappuccino, that would be, depending on the size, between 50 and 30 grams of carbs in one coffee. So if people suddenly realise that, they go, oh, actually, I'm off my milky coffees. And so I slowly weaned myself off, and I just have a creamy coffee. I just put a splash, like two tablespoons maybe of cream, And that's only gone from 30 grams of carbs to one. And so that's a huge game changer. And then the other thing that people don't recognize is so often people are in the habit of just buying, say, low-fat ready meals or a, I won't say the brand, but a certain brand of diet ready meals. And they're low-fat, low-calorie, but they've actually got quite a high carb content in there and all the other sort of additives and preservatives in there, but it's the carb content. You go, well, it's low-fat, but actually it's really really high carbs so just become a label reading ninja read all the labels then you know that's my go-to cream cheese that's my go-to can of tuna whatever it is that you buy you then know the new brands that you want so again it's boring reading labels but you do it once you don't have to do it again (laughs) 
you start to learn. And, and it really is a process of going against what we've been told is healthy for mm. so many years in even, you know, in popular culture. And when, if you go to the grocery store, there's a lot of brand names that have the word lean or skinny or, or healthy in the title of, of them. And actually, if you look at them, they are, might be low fat. They might even be relatively low calorie, but they're certainly not low carbs because what they're doing <laughs> is replacing the fat with carbohydrates and sugar <laughs> and still trying to keep it, you know, and then keeping the portions tiny so that the calorie count stays low. So you can do better. Exactly. You can do better. Than exactly. <laughs> All right. So okay. number no. five is stop the carb creep. What's number six? Number six is eat healthy fats only until full. This is the one of the biggest myths that I see out there that people going in the groups going, oh, I couldn't get in my, I don't know, 103 grams of fat today. How can I do that? Or I've drinking so many bulletproof coffees. You don't need to do that at all. That was kind of like keto back in, I don't know, 19, whenever. It's, I think that was some of the original, original. It is just so outdated. The whole basis of keto or low carb is low carb, healthy fats and low carb, higher fat. But if we've still got fat in our body that we want to burn, we're already high fat. It's yeah. keeping that down. And we're not low fat by any means. I put olive oil on my salads. I eat cheese, but I don't eat it to meet a certain target. That your fat, if you go into the keto calculators, the fat is a limit, not a goal. And so that's what I really want to impress on people. Protein is quite often a goal, but fat yeah. is a limit. You want to be sort of kind of under there. Now, you don't want to go low fat because then you're going to be hungry, but just don't eat those bulletproof, drink the bulletproof coffees, don't eat the fat bombs. If it works for you, great, that works for you. But for the majority of people, I see overeating the fat as one of the biggest problems. And in fact, we did a tracking challenge a while ago and one lady, she her carbs were fantastic, her protein was fantastic, but we realised she was having like almost double the amount because she was having a bag of macadamia nuts every single day just as a habit. And I said, well, that's the problem, it's the macadamia. And she goes, well, I can easily stop those. I'm just eating them because I quite enjoy them. I can eat. And boom, she stopped them and the weight slowly started to come back down again. So don't yeah. think that is a goal. You do not need to reach a certain amount of fat. That's the biggest myth that I see out there. Yeah. And I think that does go back to, and probably why keto gets such a bad rap from a lot of people, because there was this sort of, you should eat all the bacon and, and butter and, and just keep and add more to your coffee and, and fat, 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 add extra butter to your steak and all the things. And the only time that I tell people to eat more fat than probably feels comfortable is right at the beginning, right when you're trying to switch your body over, that's when a higher amount of fat is, can be helpful because it will yeah. help get your body into ketosis. And then as soon as you're like in ketosis consistently and your body has sort of made that switch, that's when you want to start burning your own fat. And if you continue to eat all that fat, it's not coming off your body. It's, <laughs> you might not gain weight, but you're going to be just like, it's going to be fat in and then maybe you'll keep it off or maybe you won't. So mm -hmm. I think that's such that's, but at the same time, healthy fats, right? Like really focusing on, on, so what are your favorite, some of your favorite, your favorite fats? Um, butter, olive oil, coconut oil, avocado oil. Um, they're probably the main ones where I'm trying to think of what's in my cupboard and what's in my fridge. <laughs> they're yeah. probably the main ones here, yeah, but butter and olive oil, I would say are my two go-tos. 
but I also have avocado. And I have a whole range of flavoured avocados. So I've got lime avocado, garlic avocado to put on your your salads. And also I'm very lucky. I've actually got an avocado tree in my back garden. So I am overgrown with avocado. My freezer is groaning with frozen avocados. And so we make mole a lot. It is wonderful. So, yeah, avocados are fantastic. But, yeah, any of those oils that are natural and it's least processing, as you know, to get the oil out of an olive oil, they squeeze it under pressure and the olive oil comes out. To make canola oil, there is a 20-stage chemical process to make it. So, no, we avoid all the seed oils. Avoid we avoid vegetable oil. Yeah, those ones are nasty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sure. <laughs> I love it. So basically, I mean, and that goes right back to number three, eat real food. Olive yeah. oil is much closer to real unprocessed food than processed canola oil, vegetable oil, and, and those kind of things, right? The closer exactly. it is to the way that it was nature intended it to be, the better off you are. Absolutely. Okay. Right. Number seven. Number seven. Number seven, it kind of goes on to number six, is long-term stop the snacking. So, you know, you were saying at the beginning, when you first become low-carb, you want to increase your fats because that will get you through that phase. And also, when you start, you will be snacking. You're swapping your regular snacks for low-carb snacks or keto snacks. But eventually, as your hunger gets under control, which kind of goes back to number one, then you don't need the snacking. And then you actually increase the periods where you don't eat and you compress your little window eating windows so stop the snacking, but it may not happen yet. So a lot of people watching is going, but I can't stop my snacking. I always say add the word yet onto the end of a sentence. So I can't stop snacking yet. And then they go, okay, no, well, I can't. So think about your snacking, which is the one you can give up. Can you give up your morning snack or afternoon or your evening? And then you think, okay, I'm not going to have any morning snacks now. I can do that. Then you think I'm not going to have any afternoon. And then evening is often the hardest one. So I always say set a time that, okay, after 9 p.m. there is no more food. And then once you're okay with that, set it back to maybe 8.30, then maybe back to 8. And then eventually you say, right, after dinner there is no more food after dinner. And you do get used to it. It's more of a habit to be sitting there watching TV like this. Mm. And it is literally a habit. And the bag of whatever you were eating is gone. Once you stop snacking, it is so much easier. But it will take a bit of time. So if people are brand new, just say that you haven't stopped snacking yet, but it will eventually come. I love that. I love that. And it's true. It's a, pro- it's a process. Mm. And as your body adapts to becoming low carb and to becoming thin adapted, fat adapted, keto adapted, people call it different things. Uh, it really does like you are less and less hungry because mm. your body is better at burning your own fat for fuel. And so you'll find that at some point you'll stop thinking about it as much. It yeah. really like you have to try really hard at first. And I think people do, they get really down on themselves or they think I need to be intermittent fasting, but I can't do it. And it's so hard. Like don't deprive yourself, allow like give yourself the grace and the time for your body to, to change, but then know that, you know, that's eventually the goal that you're going towards. And it is, exactly. but it is true. The more, the more you can stop the snacking because it helps just keep your blood sugar more stable yeah. for a longer amount of time. For exactly. sure. I love that. Otherwise you're always triggering them. Exactly right. Yes. So okay. number eight. Number eight. If you can't stop that, this is really important at this time of year. If you can't stop the splurge, limit the splurge. So say if you've gone out for say, I know you've, you know, um, at Christmas time, festive time, New Year's time, 
if you suddenly go to a party and there is everything there that is your wildest dream, you go, oh, I miss my cake, I miss my ice cream, my bread, whatever it is, limit yourself to, if you can't stop eating those, limit yourself. So, okay, maybe I'll have half a piece or one piece of that garlic bread rather than keep on going back for the garlic bread. And I'm only going to have one scoop of the ice cream rather than a whole tub of the ice cream. And rather than having, going back for seconds of the cheesecake, I'll just have a small slice. So don't deprive yourself at these special events, but just limit the splurge. And don't think, okay, I'm going to have one of everything. Think, okay, my one splurge tonight, before you go out, plan. So it goes back to our planning. Tonight, my splurge is going to be, I'm going to have an extra glass of wine and maybe I'm going to share a dessert with a friend. And you know, all the way through the evening, you've got to look forward to whatever it is that you've planned. And that's a better way than thinking, actually, I'm going all in and I am just going to absolutely throw myself at this buffet table or whatever it is. So if you can't stop the splurge, limit the splurge. It's like, you know, if you scratched your phone, you wouldn't suddenly stand on it and stamp it and throw it out. (laughs) Yeah, that is, no, that's the perfect example. I've never heard that analogy before, but it's so true. We do, that's it really like the one area of our life where we're so all or nothing about it. Like we, we have one fall off the wagon and well, it's all done. I might as well, I might as well give up. I might as well eat whatever I want now. And, and you have, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy, but the reality is even if you go to a party and you slurge and you have multiple splurges and you drink too much and you eat all the things that doesn't mean the next day, you can't go back to eating low carb. You can't. It doesn't mm. mean all is lost. It means you get back on the wagon and you and you go right back to it. But I I do love the idea of planning planning ahead for your yeah. splurges. And then you're actually looking forward to that sharing a piece of cake with your friend or your husband or your partner and maybe that extra glass of wine. And it gives you the confidence to actually say no to the other things because, you know, well, I'm not actually being deprived of those. I'm waiting for my little treat at the end or something. And by the end, you might actually think, actually, I don't actually want that anymore. So it's just a good way of looking at it. I do love that. I always tell myself I can try anything that I want to try. You know, if I want to, if I want to take a bite or something looks good, I'll try it. And I usually, I have find by doing that, by giving myself permission to say, oh, Mm. I can try it if I want to, then I'll usually try a bite. And because I'm so used to eating this low carb way, that one bite is so overly overpoweringly sweet. If it's a dessert or something like that, that one bite is plenty. And whereas I think in the past you, I would, I would, you know, be on a diet and be restricting, restricting, restricting. And then I get into a situation where I just like, give me all the sugar. (laughs) And so it's so much, it's so much nicer to be so much more in control. I don't know if if you've had that experience too, but absolutely. Say if my husband's eating something that I particularly wouldn't choose, I'm actually going, can I just have one bite? And it's that, and that's all I want. It's the taste of something, not the volume I think that we quite often miss. I just want that taste and that's it. So yeah, absolutely. I love it. Okay, Okay. so number nine. Number nine, lift heavy things. That's all I'm going to say about, that's all you need to know. I I could give you some long spiel about exercise plans or going to the gym or do, but just lift heavy things, build your muscles. Some people, the gym is an absolute turnoff. Other people absolutely love the gym and both are fine. But we, as we kind of age, we lose our muscle mass and that, um, 
that sarcopenia, which is the loss of muscle mass in your body, and your muscle mass is your metabolic currency within your body. That's the one that gives you your higher resting metabolic rate. The more muscle you have, because fat just sits there. It does nothing. It's a, it's a lazy rider on your body, whereas muscle's working all the time. So really make an effort of trying to lift things heavy around the house, doing some squats, maybe on the way out from the bathroom every time, do 10 squats down the hallway or while you're waiting for the kettle to boil for a cup of tea, lift some weights or do something that you love. For some that might be going to the gym and doing a weight session with the trainer. Other people, it might be doing CrossFit. Other people, it might be, you know what? I'm actually going to do more gardening this week with instead of the electric tools, with the hand tools. Just anything to keep yourself um, strong and supple and agile. Metabolic currency is, is the biggest game changer as well. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Go out and chop some wood or do like, it's so funny. My husband and I are complete opposites in that area. He will only do practical things, but so he stays in shape by like building things and doing manly things. Whereas I'm like, Nope, I want to go to the gym. I want to work out with my trainer, but I have been doing heavier weights, um, lately. And it's amazing the difference that happens when you really start pushing yourself to do kind of Not girly weights, but manly weights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number 10. We're the, we got number there. Number 10. Number okay. 10. What is your poison? Everyone has to figure out what their poison is. If somebody is stalled with a weight loss, it may be for some people, if they give up dairy for a couple of weeks, that might be actually that, and nobody will know what their kind of poison is, but it's just yeah. some people will find. Ah, actually, and it doesn't mean you have to have it, not have it forever. It's just for now. So you might need to give up dairy for a couple of weeks or it might be coffee that you need to give up for a couple of weeks or alcohol or sweetness for some people or nuts. And a lot of baking has nuts in it. So just giving up something and you will immediately know, say if I said to everybody watching today, what's the one thing you don't want me to tell you to give up? That's normally the thing you know you need to give up. So for me, it would be giving up my coffee and maybe my evening glass of wine at the weekends. And so I know what my poison is. So everyone will know. And I know I've had some ladies who have, I've given, they've given up dairy for two weeks just to see how it would go. And they said it was phenomenal. Their weight suddenly plummeted again. They then went back onto milky, you know, milk in their tea and milk in their coffee, but they didn't go back to large amounts of cheese and the cream cheese and the cheesecakes. So they really reduced their dairy. But just by giving a little um, sort of mini challenge to yourself to go, okay, I'm going to do it for two weeks let's see how that works. So just find out, think about what is actually stepping in your way to get the progress that you want. And most people instinctively know what that will be, but it might just be a case of trial and error. So know your poison. Yeah. And that's, that's, my that's an amazing top 10. I mean, that's jam packed full of practical. <laughs> this last one, I really love this because it's so connected to the idea of just listening to your body and everybody Mm -hmm. is different. And I think that's the part that is like equally frustrating for people, but also kind of freeing at the same time, because I think sometimes we think, no, just give me the formula. Tell me exactly what I need to do, 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 do. And if only it were that simple, we would all be doing great, but it's not works, you know, low carb in general, I think, works for everyone, but in different ways and at different levels. And there are certain 
pieces of it that something that could be considered low carb, but if you're having a lot of it, your body might not be reacting well to that. Just like you said, dairy is a very common one. Nuts can be a very common one. What are, what are some other common ones do you, that you know Dairy, of? nuts, um, alcohol, alcohol. My wine and my, my bubbles, they're the things my I love. Wine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so alcohol, not only are there calories in the alcohol, but normally it lowers your willpower to say no to snacks. Because when you have a glass of wine, you think, oh, I'll just have a few nuts or I have a few crisps or something. So there's a it's a double-edged sword when you have the alcohol. Coffee, some people drink coffee. For some, most people, it's fine. I'm absolutely fine with coffee. But for other people, when they give up their coffee, it's normally the milk and the cream that go into the coffee that they is, is holding them back. And for other people, it's sweeteners. And I don't think it's the sweetness as such. I think it's the food that the sweeteners are in. But if you tell people to give up sweeteners, they will give up the low-carb bars, the keto bars, um, which sometimes have just, how many say this, maybe not very clear labeling. That's how I will describe some keto bars. And so when you look at all of those, it's actually the ingredient, the sweetener that's in them, it's that that you're giving up that's actually what is giving you progress. It could be that it's in a piece of, say, um, almond flour cake. Well, all there's, I think there's something like 100 or 150 almonds in a cup of almonds, almond flour, sorry. And so you wouldn't sit there and eat 100 almonds, but you would easily eat a huge piece of almond flour cake. And so by giving up the sweetener, you're actually giving up all these other things. So it's a bit of a red herring, but it does actually work by giving up these things. And it's just trial and error. What works for you? I mean, you see it in the groups all the time. Some people will absolutely swear that this works and other people will swear that this works. So you do you. (laughs) I love that, which is, which is true. You do have to figure out what works for your body. And I think that's such a great final thing. What, and it's such a great way of, uh, phrasing it too. What's your poison? Because there might be something to you that is your, it's your kryptonite. It's your thing, right? Kryptonite didn't affect anybody except Superman. So you have to know which thing is really going to be affecting you and then be respectful of your body in that way. So I just, I love that. What great advice. So one final quick question, where do you see people like because you've been doing this for a long time and I, and you've helped a lot of people. Where do you see people most commonly self-sabotaging? Like what's the biggest red flag or like self self-sabotage that people might not even be aware of thing that they have to watch out. It's trying to please others. So say if you went to a family dinner, a family Christmas family, any kind of family gathering. And a lot of people show their love with food. They will make you their favorite family cheesecake and they'll make them their favorite, um, you know, family dish that they love. And that's lovely. That is, that is how we've all been brought up. People show their love through food, but people sabotage almost themselves by going, well, actually I can't say no to that person. And once I've said that I'll have everything, which goes back to our other points, but actually you can be true to yourself and also honor your host. So you can say, look, that's beautiful. I love, you know, Aunt May's lovely apple pie, but can I just have a little tiny sliver because I'm really trying to take care of myself. And I've just discovered I do not get on well with carbs, carbs, and I do not agree. So therefore you're being true to yourself. You only want a small piece, but you're also honoring the the host that they've put their time and effort into making their lovely, lovely apple pie, but actually you just want a tiny piece of it. But a lot of people sabotage themselves by going, 
actually I, once I've had that, I'll have everything. So that's that's the biggest thing that I can see and almost maybe putting the responsibility on somebody else that their family or somebody they went to have provided all this food so there was nothing that they could do. And there always is, you can always go, you know, avoid the high carb side dishes and go for the lower carb vegetables and instead of having the pie, was there just some plain meat on the table that you could have had instead? So it's just making those wiser choices while you're there rather than say, for example, maybe saying, oh, well, it was out of my control. Um, you know, somebody else has sabotaged me. And actually you, can, you can't control everything, but you can control what you can control. Let's go for that. I love that. That's really great advice. And I think that happens so often. We want to please other people, that people pleaser tendency that's, that is in so many of us, like really ingrained that makes you think, oh, I don't have, I don't have a choice on this. But often <laughs> you can, you know, make your choices and, and be smart about it and not make a big deal about it. Yeah. And sometimes just the like, if you don't make a big deal about it, other people probably won't notice. No. So and we don't want to be rude to our family members. We want to to love them and thank them for what they've done for us. Um, you know, it was our choice to live low carb and get off the sugar and things, but you can do it delicately for both ways. Yeah. I love that. Great, great advice. Well, Libby, this was amazing. So incredibly helpful and practical. And I'm just so, like blown away by there was like gold nugget after gold nugget after gold nugget. So any final, final thoughts to share before we hop up? No, I think that's it. I think as long as you remember those 10 kind of bullet points and even maybe write them off and stick them on your pantry or in your fridge or even in your underwear drawer every morning and you see just one of those to remember for the rest of the day, just keep a little golden nugget in your head. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. so good. There you have it. Down to earth tips and super practical advice that you can apply right away. And also a little insight into the moment it all began. And I guess that brings me to the end of this bonus episode, but don't worry. I have still got a few more bonus episodes for you to dive into today. In the meantime, it would mean so much to me if you are enjoying this content so far to subscribe or follow the podcast on iTunes or wherever you like to listen. And not only that, if you know of anyone else who would find this content useful, then please, please, please be sure to share it. Send them a text, share it on social, via email, shout it from the rooftops, whatever you want to do, just let people know. That would mean so much. And then finally, because this podcast is so brand new, your reviews on iTunes are a huge deal. So you don't have to do it yet, but if at any point you feel so inclined to leave a review, that would be absolutely amazing. Then be sure to take a screenshot and send it to us at hello at thinlicious.com. We will be choosing listeners at random every week to win a whole bunch of fabulous prizes, including our Thinlicious Magic Protein Bars, our 28-Day Metabolism Reset, Thinlicious T-shirts, and a whole lot more. If you have any questions or you just want to connect, feel free to shoot us an email at hello at thinlicious.com. And then I will see you back here very soon for another bonus episode. That's all for now. See you in a minute.